It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by ANZ Home Loans for financial well-beings. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Breakfast, available of course every morning on iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple, and wherever you get your podcast from. I hope your weekend is going well. We are halfway through it, and if you had a busy day yesterday for Saturday and Sunday is a mandatory feed up day just a relaxing day. Good on you. You've earned it. Enjoy your Sunday. Today is May the 21st. And coming up this morning, we have seven days of real estate. Of course, this is a bit of a look back over the last seven days. It all started, of course, on Monday morning. We caught up with Margaret Lomas And we talked about the market. Margaret thinks it's unlikely to see Sydney or Melbourne have a boom anytime soon. Also, we caught up with Matthew Hughes this week from Capital Property Advisory there in Perth. He gives us a bit of a update on the Perth market. Sally Tyndall from Rate City was here. She was talking about surviving the fixed term cliff and how to survive your mortgage. So we'll be hearing from Sally very shortly. And of course, Arjun was also in talking about the Sydney rent vesting. It seems to be very popular subject at the moment. So that is all coming up. We'll have a look at that weather word too for your Sunday in just a moment. Remember to follow us on any of the podcast platforms so you never miss a real estate podcast. You can follow us on Apple, Spotify and Amazon. We're on all of them. Know your property with us. And I see that it was on this day a while ago, back in 1883, the completion of the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City happened. The iconic suspension bridge connected the boroughs of Manhattan and Brooklyn, and at the time it was considered a feat in engineering. All right, if you're celebrating your birthday, you will know that. You don't need me to tell you, but you're sharing your birthday for May the 21st with Mr. T, of course, from the A team. And I think he was also a professional wrestler. He is turning 70 today. And Sarah Ramos, the American actor, she is turning. 31. It's the main centre forecast. And around the country, let's do it. Let's check on the Sunday weather word. And first we go to Sydney, expecting mainly fine weather, a little bit of a scattering of cloud. And your high today expected of 19 degrees. In Melbourne, maybe a little bit of rain this morning, but you should see the sun at some stage today. 15 degrees is rather on the coolish side. And Brisbane. Brisbane expecting sunshine with 22 and in Perth also expecting to see the sunshine and a high for you of 23. Keep updated with the latest real estate news, economist predictions, property sales or what's trending right now. Know your property with us on The Real Estate Podcast. And even where a buyer can afford the repayments on the size of loan required, banks just aren't giving the loans at the moment. They're building in greater and greater margins. And I guess because interest rates aren't going to suddenly return to the 2022 lows anytime soon, 
even if they do fall a little bit, we're still going to face that problem where people just can't borrow the money that they need to borrow in order to to, to afford the, the size of properties or the, the, the price on properties in those bigger markets. So I can't really see this boom coming anytime soon, but definitely a moderating of prices and maybe a stagnation, maybe a return to those early 2022, late 2021 prices. And then I think stabilising for a few years until interest rates get themselves sorted out. So just coming back to that word stabilising, do you think that we're not quite there yet in terms of the stabilised market? I don't think we are. I think there's still some more pain to come, but not across the board. We have to remember that what happened during 21 and 22 were things that we could not have predicted because we've never seen a pandemic before. When the pandemic first hit, I can remember everybody forecasting that the market would drop dramatically on the back of it. And of course, that didn't happen. And the second thing that then did happen was that all of our markets grew together. Now, I've been around a long time, as we indicated a bit earlier on. Mm -hmm. And in all of those 40 years that I've been around, and for 30 of those, I've been advising property advisors. I've never seen a time when all of the markets in the country behave at the same time and grow together. Previously, you would get potentially Adelaide growing while Sydney stagnated or Melbourne growing while Brisbane stagnated. And it was great for property investors who are happy to be borderless investors because they could invest widely and, and there'd always be something that would grow. And if you had a portfolio of properties across the country, as do I, then something in your portfolio was always growing and something was always stagnating. Yes, so it did take a pandemic to throw the markets up into the air and to have the markets all travelling upwards in price, as you say, that was quite unique. And it also drove the FOMO behaviour and that motto of let's get into the market now at all costs. I'm of the opinion that more and more technology and data, as you said earlier, the capacity for us to get information quickly through the internet means that we react much more quickly and, you know, word spreads quite quickly and everybody's an expert. So all of a sudden everybody wanted to buy at the same time. I've never seen that happen before. And when we talk about stabilising I think what we'll see happen is that we will return to a time where some markets are doing okay while others aren't, and then the reverse will happen in the next few months. So we might see Sydney and Melbourne definitely stabilise. I think there's more to come in Adelaide yet, not so much the inner city Adelaide market, but the suburban market is still showing lots of, of growth and lots of gusto and, and, and plenty of people interested in those markets. And the same with the Perth markets. We're still seeing people very interested. Brisbane began to stabilise even before Sydney and Melbourne did, but I think there's plenty to come in the northern suburbs of Brisbane yet. There's certainly, you know, plenty of opportunity for affordable housing in those northern suburbs without having to go all the way to the Sunshine Coast. And there are certain markets up there that I'm really thinking are going to do very well. So we're going to see some markets still growing, other markets stabilising for the next year or two, I would say. We're a lot more than just real estate. Available for breakfast from 6am. Then, on the drive to work, 
or in your ear at the gym. In fact, wherever you go, we're available seven days a week. We know the vacancy rate's historically low. From a sales perspective, we had about 8,300 properties on the market just four weeks ago, which was already low. For reference, about 13,000 is a balanced market here. That's fallen a further 10% to 6,200 properties. So we are chronically undersupplied on both sides, and uh, it's proving quite difficult to find a secure property in this market for buyers agents. And I understand that there's been some recent changes to development planning policies in WA. Tell us a little bit about uh, the changes and when they may take effect. So the changes are reasonably significant. They're um, they're to do with our medium density codes. So this may not mean anything to your listeners, but anything, any sites that are zoned R30 to R60, so think um, developments that will uh, result in villas, townhouses, or perhaps a small apartment site, they're the sorts of sites that are going to be impacted by these changes that are um, that are coming into play in September this year. And look, it's, it's a step in the right direction from a built form outcome perspective and something that needs to happen but probably poorly timed from a, a stock level perspective because it is going to restrict our ability to create new stock in a market that desperately needs it. So why has the state government decided to make these changes, Matthew, and uh, what impact are they likely to have on the Perth property market? Look, I think they've probably identified that the previous codes uh, were resulting in some less than desirable built form outcomes. Uh, and they're also looking to promote sustainable, livable and affordable housing options. But I think in the current market, placing greater requirements on developers for open space and solar access and natural ventilation and tree canopy, amongst other things, is probably only going to result in sites being less viable to develop in a market that is already full of sites that are not feasible or viable to develop. So given the lack of stock that we have at the moment and given the fact that we do want more new stock coming to market, the timing of it probably couldn't be worse, even though what they're trying to achieve uh, is probably a step in the right direction from a housing perspective. Yeah, that stock is such a problem at the moment. And you highlighted earlier that the Perth market is already facing a significant shortage of properties available for sale and rent. Now, considering this, do you think that the timing of these changes seems rather unfortunate? Yeah, look, it's been in the pipeline for some time. So these these two things have sort of colluded to create, to exacerbate an already existing problem. So it's hard to point the finger at the government because this is something they plan to do. And as I said, it is something that is a step in the right direction. It is just unfortunate timing because we've already got a situation where the leading indicator on stock coming to market is, is new dwelling approvals. Uh, they're still falling. So in line with having no stock now, there's nothing being built. And that appetite is not coming back anytime soon. And until construction costs stabilise or hopefully improve a little bit, timeframes improve and labour and and materials are more available um, and risk um, diminishes somewhat in that space. So all of these things combined are going to see us not really producing enough stock to house the people that are coming to WA. Um, We're still second in the country in population growth and where we have a stock level that is dwindling almost weekly. Um, So it is sort of heading towards a housing crisis and it's an unfortunate situation for people, um, tenants and and people looking to buy housing. Um, They're going to find it very difficult in the coming years because of all these things. We deliver each week more property podcasts than anyone else. 
It's fast and up-to-date to help keep you better informed. We have learnt probably the hard way that loyalty doesn't pay when it comes to banking, uh, but now we've got very proactive, engaged borrowers out there that are holding their banks to task, and that is fantastic to see. I would say, despite the fact that a couple of banks are walking away from the competition, if people keep on refinancing, if they keep on asking their banks for rate cuts and challenging their loyalty, then it will keep the market competitive. And I understand you've done some research into the heat of the market and you looked at a single person on an average wage and I think you built some increases into the wage itself and then found that once everything was sort of going out from this average wage that people were not left with a lot of money. We looked at a single person who took out a home loan two years ago. They borrowed every last cent that they could from the bank in order to um, get into the property market, where they would be sitting at now on the back of 11 rate hikes. Now, we did actually include wages growth. We included the standard wages growth. We even included 3.75% increase for this financial year. And even then, once that person pays for the mortgage in their post tax dollars, they're left with $57 a day, which might seem like, you know, enough, but you've got to think about it to pay for council rates, strata fees if you're paying them, water, electricity, gas, phone, internet, health insurance, car insurance, petrol, food, public transport, clothing, furniture, you name it, $57 a day. No wonder people are feeling the heat. We did the same calculations for the average family where one person works full-time at the average wage and the other person works part-time at half of that wage. They're left with Uh, they've got two kids, they're left with $125 a day to pay for all of their essentials. They're effectively left with a handful of dollars left to what splurge on a coffee now and then. And if some unexpected bill rolls in, then they could be completely stuffed if they don't have buffers to fall back on. In terms of Sydney side specifically, the cons for rent vesting are actually becoming lower and lower in this environment. Yes, rents have risen quickly, but the thing with investing right now is that if you're buying a home to live in, the mortgages have picked up substantially in places like Sydney. So to give you an example, when we look at a mortgage, say for a $2 million property in Sydney, and you're now paying $1,000 in rent for something like that, These numbers might be huge thinking, wow, I'm paying $1,000 of rent in the northwest of Sydney for maybe a nice family home in say Bella Vista or Castle Hill or surrounds. And if you're doing that, when you break down the actual mortgages, the mortgages are still an extra $1,000 or close to it when you factor in all bills encompassing. And it starts to be a fairly higher amount on that side. Now, when I'm making this comparison, I'm not making this comparison with principal and interest and rent, I'm making this comparison between interest and rent. And so therefore the interest and the bills in comparison to the rent are still substantially more, even though rents are rising very quickly and rapidly, which means that when you are starting to go for those higher priced properties, rent vesting is still a clear winner because that notion of dead money 
is not the case because one can also say interest on your own home may also be the same dead money too. And it's still costing more than renting, which is an interesting thing in Sydney specifically. Mm, That is a a really interesting stat. And in this interest rate environment, of course, a hot topic has been the borrowing capacity for property investors uh, being worse off than ever, in some cases down 35 to 40%. Now, does rent vesting alleviate any of this pressure for investors? Yes, it does. Rent vesting in the way the mortgage calculators work at the banks are actually far better than buying your own home. So I'll give you an example. Banks have what we call loading percentages. And so if you have, say, a $1,000 repayment, many banks may consider your $1,000 repayment to be the equivalent of $1,200. And this is on home loans specifically. However, that $1,000 rent expense that you have is $1,000 of rent. Therefore, what that means is that there's actually a lower amount considered. And when banks consider your mortgage, they're not just considering your interest component, they're considering your interest and principal. So as a result, what that means is for the same property, not only are you paying less rent to actually live in there, but from the eyes of the bank, they're just factoring in what you pay in rent and that's it. Whereas on a mortgage, they have loading, plus they're thinking of it from principal components. So you're therefore lowering your borrowing capacity when it comes to the investment potential you have ahead. We are your local source for unbiased expert insights into the world of real estate. We are not a real estate company. Our only objective is to help you better understand the real estate market. I think people have been very conservative uh, in what they're spending now on property. I think they're allowing themselves quite a buffer. Um, as we know also, you know, the, the, the banks add a percentage on top for a safety buffer as well when they're lending money. I, I don't think you're seeing people overstretch themselves or go too full on in what they're going to pay for a property, say at all before or even after. And we were talking about the quality data. Agents, of course, they're constantly looking at the best sorts of data when pricing property. Perhaps just explain to people the concept of quality data in relation to accurately pricing a home because sometimes this is a very murky, grey sort of area. Not always is it understood. Of course. So it's, it's, it's quite easy along most of the main property portals to be able to research a property address and see data there for sale prices. Because we did have that uncertainty in the market probably throughout the start of the year, it's taken a, a, you know, a solid month or two for those sales to be coming through from the weekends. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast. 